A lot of people feel voiceless and powerless because they feel, well, I'm not famous. I haven't done anything, so I don't have a story. Everybody has a story. We need each and every single person right now to step into their light and be the best that they can be. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, a community for people with side projects. Over the last year, I've been spending my time exploring how to help more people progress the ideas that they're interested in. I believe that everyone has a great idea and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient and more confident. There are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Today on the podcast, we have Charlie Dark, DJ, poet, writer and founder of Rundem Crew a global running club which describes itself as not a running club. Rundem Crew has grown from a casual run around the neighbourhood to a large organisation. Rundem Crew also runs workshops, films and events. It's a community, or as he's described it before, it is the dining table for people who don't have dining tables, or more simply, a family. And it hasn't gone unnoticed. Time Out, The Telegraph, The Guardian, The Evening Standard, they've all written pieces on Rundem Crew. But most importantly, he's had a deep impact on many people's lives. We talked about the early days of Random Crew, the experience of racism and what you can do about it, how to build an authentic community, and why you should always keep an ideas book on you. Thanks so much, Charlie, for joining the show. So I actually first came across Random Crew, or I first experienced it at Mile 21, uh, which is that thing that you do for the London Marathon, uh, which for anyone listening who doesn't know is mile 21 is, I don't know if it's proven, but I think anecdotally the the bit where people flag on the 26 miles of the London Marathon has a special place in my heart um, that day because it was, the f- it was the first ever interview I did for Out of Hours. It was with Niels Arend uh, from the Speed Project. Yeah. Um, and, and you say, what's that thing you say? If you don't run, you must cheer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love that because it's exactly the same thing as, you know, if you're not the one doing, then you should support the person who is doing, you know, it's, it's that same thing. But Rundem Crew, it started with, how many people was it around a table? Five. There were five of us. It started, started with myself and then my friends and then it grew to five and then it slowly blossomed from there. When you have an idea, the first person you should go and speak to is the youngest person in your family. Because if you can explain it to a five-year-old using one sentence, then you might be onto something. Lots of people have ideas that are too complex to explain. So what happens if you have an idea that's too complex to explain is you ever meet anyone who could possibly help you and they've only got a minute to listen, you run out of time. Oh, it's going to be like this and then that and that and then, oh, and let me show you this picture. Bro, I ain't got time to see you on your phone because you're one of a thousand people who've got in touch with me today. First thing I thought to myself, right, we're running 
and we've never run before and no one knows any runners and people are just not going to believe us. So we need a photographer. Who do I know who takes photos? All right, Andy, wicked, brilliant. Going to get you. We're going to run. Most probably going to get injured. And we've got to do the stretching thing we know nothing about. We need someone who knows about their bodies. Who do I know? Leo, you're a dancer, an actor, wicked. We're going to get you. And, and I literally was just like, what does this thing need for it to grow beyond myself? I just went for my phone book. Your phone book is one of the most powerful tools in your initial idea. There's a reason why, you know, a lot of rap groups, the first manager is always like the best mate. The one who's really good at talking to girls, he becomes the manager. In 2005, people weren't just walking around Shoreditch with a yoga mat with their little athleisure clothes on. It didn't exist. It was like, if you ran, you were green, fluorescent, and you were a hardcore runner. There's all this stuff that you see now that has become, as a result of the conversations that run them and various different people around the same time started having conversations with these major brands and helping them pivot and change and make them aware there was a whole new generation of people who were really interested in fitness, but I just didn't think that it spoke to them in the language that was being used at the time. This is what I say to people about your ideas. It's like, is it a vanity project? Or are you doing something because you really want to bring impact? And a lot of us are not very honest about what our why is. Because for many of us, our why is something that has happened in our teenage bedroom. As a teenager, I went to a school where, you know, and grew up in a home where I didn't feel like I had a voice, where anyone was listening to me, where I could be heard, where my opinion mattered. So when I became a DJ and started DJing, yes, I loved music. But my big moment for me is when I picked up the needle of a record that was playing and 500 people stopped dancing and all looked at me. And I suddenly realized that, wow, as the DJ, I have some power of emotions or taking people on the journey. Wow. So for many years, that was my why. Yes, I love music, but that soon develops into the ego. Like, yeah, I'm the DJ. What? I'm in the DJ box. Yeah, man, I'm the man. I'm like, I'm in control. Yeah. But again, until I was honest with myself and being like, what? I didn't understand the full power of what I could do. And when you started, I know you hate the phrase side project. No, it's called, you can call it side project. <laughs> Am I allowed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Um, when you started Random Crew, was that a side project or was that following your music career? It was just one of the projects that I, I felt an urge to do. I was trying to save the lives of my creative friends. That time I was doing a lot of teaching. It was just a thing that I was like, well, you know, I really like running. And it, I, it's really benefited me, changed my outlook on life and some things. I feel physically healthier. I want to share this with my friends. I was still making music and DJing. And I was teaching poetry and creative writing in schools around the world. And that was five days a week? Yep. I've never, ever had just one job. I've always had two or three things that I did. I'm always interested in, in stuff. I do spend a large amount of time in it. But it is a, you know, it's one of the projects that I do. But I've always done loads of projects. When you've come into situations where doors have been closed to you, you soon learn that actually I'm going to have to create my own little world, my own world, my own small universe. And so whether I'm doing consultancy, you know, or mentoring or working with brands or running run them or, you know, whatever, 
when I meet kids who are like, I want to be a DJ, or I want to be an MC, I'm jacking in my job at McDonald's to go and do that. I'm like, don't do that. Because the thing that's giving you the inspiration is the traveling to the job that you don't like and dreams of how you're going to get out. But when you have the luxury of time, all of a sudden, the, you know, the oomph and fire can sometimes be taken away from you if you're not a very driven person. I taught James Blake. James Blake was one of my students in my goldsmiths class. Again, another one of those guys who was just like, this is the music I'm making. This is the music I believe in. I know that I'm good. And I'm just going to go and create my own world. Where does that confidence come from? Because I think lots of people want to create their own world, but they don't know where to start. I think that comes from rejection. I think it comes from rejection and realising that if you, you know, when enough doors get closed in your face, you just think to yourself, right, I'm going to make my own world and I'm going to take you out. And my world's going to be far more interesting than your world ever could be. You know, and I've always had that thing where basically, you know, when you're not accepted into anywhere, you just make your own world. After you've been rejected a few times, you think to yourself, I'm going to start my own club for all the other people who are getting rejected. And then you go away and do that. If you've never had rejection, it's really hard. So a lot of times what happens is people, they fall at the first hurdle because that's the first rejection they've ever got. And then they're like, whoa, there are too many people at the moment who've got great ideas that they're not sharing with the world. As human beings, a lot of us are not very prepared to be vulnerable. And we're not prepared to do the work that we need to do in order for us to be better, for us to show up better. And we're content with the low-hanging fruit. And we're blinded by the smoke and mirrors that we see around us. And so the carousel continues to go round and round and round. And how do you actually get that work? Because I think you're kind of understating how rare um, and actually aspirational that your professional life is. You know, I think lots of people would love to do loads of different projects and make money out of them. How do you actually go about doing it? Well, you know, relationships are really important. I still work with a lot of the people that I started working with 20, 30 years ago because I like the way they work and I like the way their minds work. At the same time, one of the things I do is I have conversations with people like yourself who are 20 years younger than me, because there's a different energy that you get from speaking to someone who's younger and creative and looks at things in a different way. So it's about staying curious, you know, and really saying to yourself, what type of world, what type of life do I want to be leading when I get to this age? And then stacking the dominoes up so that you do get to the point where you are getting to do the type of work that you want to do in the avenues that you want to do and getting paid the money that you, you know what I mean, that you feel like your talent is worth. But it's deliberate. It's about stacking the dominoes up. And then it's also about realising that actually sometimes it comes from unexpected sources. I didn't think when I started Run Them that it would blow up to be this global phenomenon. That was a purely accidental thing. A lot of the projects I do are experiments. And I'm not, I'm not scared to say, well, you know what, that didn't work. And remember, you know, as I said, Rundown Crew is the fifth community that I've grown. I've had many and made loads of mistakes. The things that didn't work. But that's okay. Because again, they prepare you for the position that you're in now. Like, you know, a lot of people are freaking out during lockdown. I'm like, your whole life has been about preparing for this moment. And now it's here and the test is on. How are you going to show up? What are you going to do? 
Do you think collaboration is better than competition? I think competition is healthy. I think it's important to have some competition of some sort, whether it's competing with yourself, another person or an organisation. Sometimes that can be a North Star for people, that can be a focus. I don't think that's the only way that people can be motivated. And I like collaboration. We're in a society where, you know, you are rewarded for having ideas. You're rewarded for sharing ideas and talking about ideas. And so often people haven't really thought an idea all the way through. But the idea sounds nice on paper. It looks good on the Instagram post. And it gives you the gratification that people think that you're busier than you actually are. The one benefit of putting something out there early is that when you start to get more voices, you start to get more feedback. When do you think it's a good time to get other people involved? When they can bring something to the equation that you can't already provide yourself. You get to a point where maybe you're trying to create a bigger impact on what you're doing or reach more people, and maybe that requires marketing, but you're not great at marketing, and so you get a marketing person in. However, if you don't understand how to market your idea to one person, you can't articulate that, do not be then surprised that when this new outsider comes into the organization, that they can't, you know, they don't really have a grasp of what it is that you're trying to market. And actually is the question, not that you don't understand marketing, but you're too lazy to learn. Lots of people are too lazy to actually learn. So they get other people in to do things that they don't even understand the basic fundamentals of. So for example, with Run Them, we don't really work with any brand that refuses to come and run with us. If you don't want to come and run, we can't really have a conversation. It doesn't matter how much money you're flashing around. The fundamental thing is we know that introducing running, movement practice, being around positive people, working towards a goal, saves lives, inspires lives, and brings change. If you want to really understand that, don't look at it from the lens of an Instagram post. Come down and actually get involved. How early on with Rundem did you write a manifesto or, you know, like a vision? Um, and has it stayed the same? I wrote the manifesto for Rundem as soon as I came up with the idea. The manifesto, I would say, has changed because when I originally started Rundem, I wasn't thinking about it being a community. It took me many years before I suddenly realised that I'd actually built a community. I didn't set out to do that. And I think that's one thing for people when they're starting ideas is to be very honest about themselves, about why they're starting them, what success looks like to them, and what they're really trying to achieve. Because if you're starting a running crew, for example, in 2020, because you want to have a relationship with brands, then don't do it the run them way. There's a very different way that you can do it that will get you to your objective a bit more successfully. However, if you're thinking about developing a long-term relationship with a brand, then maybe there are ways that looking at what we have done, they may help you. I'm so curious how much your projects, you know, whether it's random crew or training as a yoga teacher, you know, how reflective they are of your personal philosophy. I mean, how do you separate those two? With run, with run them and the projects I do, I never ask people to do things that I'm not prepared to do. I don't ask or encourage them to try something that I wouldn't try myself. So I am my North Star. And I think, again, as I always say to people, is when you're, when you're doing, are you doing the idea because it sounds like an attractive idea 
are you doing the idea because you think, oh, I could make money from that? Or are you doing the idea because actually you really believe in it? You know, I'm very clear on what my brand values are. And so then it makes it easy to navigate Run Them and to build ideas for Run Them because they're coming from my core brand values. But people know that I lead by example. And they also know what I stand for and what I will accept and what I won't accept. So from the moment they walk through the door, there's a certain way that we ask people to conduct themselves if they want to be part of this community. And we, as we always say to people, this isn't about you. This is about the people who aren't running, the people who are seeking inspiration. Okay, I've got a couple of quotes here, actually, that I'm going to read you because they're just amazing. <laughs> this rapper, Linguistics, I'm sure you remember him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he says, mm-hmm. through that connection and meeting everyone, I made, sorry, I became comfortable with who I am as a person. Mm. That's amazing. Mm. And there's another one from a model who says, the reason I'm running the London Marathon is because I met this guy called Charlie Dark, who created a running community in London called Random Crew. I've never used to run even for a bus without heaving, but Charlie celebrates everyone's running achievements, no matter how big or small they are. And that's the only reason I started running. Yep. (laughs) What is it about Random Crew that has this transformational impact on people? Because Random Crew is not about me. It's about the people. And so just the way that we talk about running and language and fitness and what it can bring into your life and how it can impact the people around you, it's just very different from the way people have done that before. And we're one of many groups who talk about it in this way. But that's just always, you know, been my, my thing is I'm trying to reach people who are difficult to reach. When you're trying to reach people who are difficult to reach, you've got a phrase and talk about it and in a different way because the traditional ways don't mean anything. Lots of people who talk about communities or try and form communities or have actually never been part of a community themselves. And so they don't understand, actually, they're, they're going from, you know, what is the official definition of community as opposed to what a community really is. I think the word community has been pretty bastardised, to be honest. What does community mean to you? It doesn't mean, I mean, community doesn't mean anything. And that's been proven by what's happened to all of these communities during the lockdown period. They don't exist anymore. Literally, people have just been like, oh, okay, the world is closed. I'll come back to that community when it reopens again. The world's going to change. The world's going to be very different. The community is going to have to change with that. Running Crew is just based on, it's based on a number of different communities that I've been part of previously. So it's been part of the DJ community that I was part of, where, you know, it was about sharing your talents with other people and teaching them what to do, because we're all discovering this thing at the same time. It's part of club communities that I've been in and, you know, the rituals involved and the type of characters that you would meet. There's lots of it is based on the principles of hip hop and, you know, what you can and can't do. And so my community is based upon something. It's about movement. You know, you want to bring a movement that brings a rev- you know, revolution and change. Community just brings people together. I've done that for so many years. Now I'm just kind of like, okay, brilliant. Once you've brought this community together, what are we going to do? What change are we going to make, bring to the world? How are we going to make the world better? So if I, if I think about the world now and the pandemic that it's going through, it definitely doesn't just need a group of people who run around in the same T-shirt at night. It needs that 
community that to bring more than that. What separates those communities from true communities? True communities nurture and grow the people around them. They don't just exist in a bubble. True communities interact with other communities. They don't just interact with communities that are similar to them. True communities are not activations. Anyone can throw money at a problem and make it look nice. But the question is, once you've restored the basketball court in the middle of the estate, are you then going to provide coaches for a year? Or are you really just trying to get rid of some excess money and have people say, oh, you did something really good? Because the unfortunate thing about the activation of communities is if you activate and you don't nurture and you don't grow, then either that community never realises its full potential and the impact it can have, or what actually happens is eventually it falls into disarray. People are like, I can't understand, you got back into trouble again. Yeah, because the project ended. You didn't empower that community to continue to work when you have gone. Well, there's a few kind of themes that come up there. One is commitment. One is kind of like a long-term vision. Mm. Um, but the third, I think, is to do with almost creating self-sustaining rituals or habits yeah. or skills, mm-hmm. um, which I think what raises another interesting question around communities, uh, which is what is the role of the community owner? You know, how involved should you be? Because I guess, you know, you have to evangelize for that community. But I think some communities, uh, the person who's evangelizing for it, as you say, quickly becomes, you know, quickly becomes an ego thing. Mm-hmm. How do you create structure and order without it all being about yourself? Ensure that even when you're not there, people still turn up. That's really important. A lot of times, you know, people can't understand. It's like, oh, people stop coming when I stop coming. Yeah, because they're coming because of you, not because of the thing. Make sure that you empower each and every single member of that community so that they feel that they're just as important and valued as you are, you know, and that's really important. But a lot of people are not prepared to do that. And I and I wouldn't say that I've had this enlightened mind my whole life, but by the time I'd got to run them, that being like one of the, you know, probably the fifth kind of community that I had built, I kind of learned my lessons. Lots of people are quite critical um, of something having both a mission and making money. Mm-hmm. I'm interested on your view on whether those two things can sit side by side. I think they can. I think one of the first things that people have to admit to themselves is there's nothing wrong with making money. You're allowed to make money. The question is what you do with that money once you've made it. How do you share it? Do you use it for good? Do you use it for yourself? And so on and so forth. You know, there are lots of different ways that money will enter into my life, which is why it allows me the luxury of being able to say, one of is not about making money, because it's not. But the most important question I need to ask themselves is, when I'm on the way to do this project, would I run a red light because I'm so enthusiastic about getting to, into my seat to start this job? If at the end of the day, money was taken away, would I still do it? Am I doing this because it brings me joy and brings me money, or am I just doing it because it simply brings me money? I deal in joy because I've had the life of doing things solely for money. I'm going to be 50 this year. So I've seen lots of highs, some tremendous lows. And I look at, you know, a lot of the people who I look at who are superly successful, where others have failed, 
is because ultimately, at the end of the day, you strip away the money and they would still do it because they love it. I mean, if ultimately it's kind of like, you know, you want to do a podcast because you want to make a million quids and sell it to Spotify, then the sooner you admit to yourself that that's your North Star, the quicker you can get to the destination. You know what I mean? But a lot of us, basically, it's kind of, we're not honest with ourselves about what money really means to us and what it meant to us growing up and our families and what we can do with it. So we're kind of scared and we're a bit embarrassed to talk about it. So we can never really maximise, you know what I mean, our earnings, our potential, our fear. So exactly. So when we come back to Run Them, anyone who's been in the Run Them will know from the beginning, we talk about race in Run Them. We talk about class in Run Them. We talk about gentrification in Run Them. We talk about real stuff in Run Them. We talk about the stuff that brands don't want you to talk about publicly. Because by me having that conversation... I might save someone's life. There's a black actor called Brandon Goodman who posted this video on Instagram um, and he said two things that I wanted to bring up. Because uh, he said, just so you know, if you are ever in a space with someone who's black after seeing a headline like that, it takes a lot to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that's, this is part of the thing. Unless you have these conversations, then you would never know. But it is really hard. You know, it is hard to show up. And it feels... I mean, the thing is, it's a universal problem. So it's regardless of whether it's America, it still affects you. The thing is, I think we, if you're a person of colour, you have been in those situations where, you're, where you've had interactions with authority and you just get the feeling or you know for a fact that you're being treated in this way because of the colour of your skin. And that's so when something like this happens... There's this deep sense of frustration and helplessness and fear because you know it can happen to you at any time. And that's the thing, you know, I think in the times that we're living in now, regardless of how much money you have or where you live in the world, you know this can happen. This could happen to me tomorrow. I, you know, I run. I regularly run through areas where I'm the black guy running through the, you know, the gentrified neighbourhood that formerly used to be a neighbourhood of colour, but now is not. And I have that situation where people are looking at me like, why is this guy running down this road? What's he doing? You know, and it's, it's difficult and you get used to it. But then something like this happens and you're reminded again of how helpless and how scared you feel and how much you realise that nothing will change unless everyone gets involved in the conversation. Good things will come out of the conversations that I had. He said, people have been asking, what do you want me to know? And what is your hope? Questions like that are important because often they have the power, but they're scared to ask the questions about how they can share the power. And then they're like, oh, okay, well, this is really difficult. The world is racist. We know this. But lots of people are so afraid to have the conversation. If I have a conversation with you and you say to me, you know what, when I walk out of the station, and I see like a group of black kids with, you, with hoods on, I feel a bit scared. I'm like, cool, I can understand that. And then we can have a conversation about why maybe you shouldn't and so on and so forth. In the same way, if, I, if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm like, you know, sometimes when I go to the countryside and I walk into the pub and it's full of like, you know, white football hooligans and they will turn around and look at me and I'm a bit like, whoa. If I have the conversation with them, we can work out our differences. But if everyone's just sitting in their bubble being like, there's a conversation we need to have, but we don't want to have the conversation. Incidents like we're seeing right now start to happen. We've got to have the conversation. 
the difficult conversations is where you learn the most from. Many people just want to have the easy conversation. Easy conversation doesn't bring change. And if you look back in history, you can see that easy conversations have not brought change. It's better to have the conversation and then be hurt by it than it is to not have the conversation and something bad to happen to someone or something or even to yourself. You know, because at least if I have the conversation, I'm a bit hurt. I'm alive. You know, we're getting to the point where people are dying now. Don't think that's not going to start spreading into other races around the world. Because once you get to the point where you're like, oh, that's the norm. People don't even get upset when we do that. Well, you know what? We've actually got a problem with this group of people as well. So I'm going to go and deal with them now. It suddenly starts ending up on your doorstep. And this is one of the things it's like if you talk about knife cram, you know, I've sat in meetings where you start talking to kids, talking to people, and you're like, yeah, so one of the reasons why we started Run Them is because we were working with loads of young people who found it really difficult to navigate their areas because of the postcode war. And, you know, maybe they lived in, you know, Shoreditch High Street, but they didn't feel comfortable walking onto Hackney Road. And everyone's looking at you like you're being sensationalist and you're acting crazy. And you're like, well, that's the reality of what these young people see and face. But you're 60 and you don't see it. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. And we're telling you that it's happening and we're asking for your help to deal with it because we can't deal with it by ourselves. And then people ignore, 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 ignore. And then the next thing that happens is now people are getting stabbed in all boroughs around London. So what are we going to do about it? And then when I say we, I say everyone because it affects everybody. Are you contributing to a better world or is this idea that you're introducing in the world actually going to have negative connotations? And if it is, what are you doing to balance that out? There are still, you know, there are still gatekeepers around who basically have the ability to bring real change to the world and refuse to. And I have a problem with that. I really have a problem with that. There are so many people who are in positions of power, who have the access to budgets and communication channels and avenues that can really change and impact people's lives and they refuse to do anything because they think it's not their problem. Do you think it's apathy or do you think it's fear? It's fear. People are scared to put their head above the parapet in case they get it wrong. Racism is really interesting because it's all around you if you open your eyes to see it. But lots of people don't see it. Sometimes I think people say and do things on the automatic without actually thinking how that will you know if my son goes to school and his friends make a comment about his hair to them they're just like I'm just having a laugh with my mate but they don't have to unpack that when he comes home you know to someone who has never had that happen to them they might just be like oh well you know I I didn't even know like you know I didn't say anything harm I just you know made a comment about it like what's wrong with that and so again it's all about you know conversations the difference I think now is that back in the day, when people didn't like you because of your religion, colour, sexuality, whatever, they told you and they showed you. Whereas now what happens is people don't show and they don't tell. So it's all behind closed doors. And then, so that is one of the reasons why when things like this happen, people are just like, whoa, I can't believe that happened because usually that's stuff that's kept very much undercover now. You know, people aren't being lynched up in the street and dragged behind cars and their houses being petrol bombed and 
excrement put through their letterboxes and things sprayed on their doors on a daily basis. You're not walking past people's houses and seeing no blacks, no dogs, no Irish signs in the window. But again, you just, you know, you learn how to navigate. navigate. Because if if you really had to actually wake up every day and react to every single thing that you see, comment, you know, look, you drive yourself mad. You never get anything done. If I want to play in the world, I've got, you know, I've got to learn how to navigate that world. If I walk into to a brand meeting or, you know, sort of a company or whatever, and I know for a fact that they don't have a diverse workforce, when I walk into the building and the security guard is maybe giving me extra questions or following me or making it difficult for me to get to the meeting I'm supposed to have, I'm not surprised. I'm just like, all right, cool. I understand. Because the world that I'm in, I understand that I'm a minority. If you've ever been in a space where you felt uncomfortable because of who you are, whether it's your gender or your colour, when things like this happen, that's another reason why you can't sit down and say nothing. Because you know how it feels to feel powerless. Even if you're like, I don't care that, you know, a black guy died at the hands of the police, cool. But do you care about a human being dying at the hands of the police in that way? If you care about human beings, then at least you can see that and be like, actually, no human being should be able to do that to someone else. To kneel my full body weight on your neck until you stop breathing. That should never be normal. We've marched, we've protested, we've rioted, we've set fire. We've lobbied, we've part, you know, we've done everything we possibly can do. We've even complied. You know, we've become the person that you want us to be. We try to compete with you on the money, on finances, and so on and so forth. And none of that is enough for this to stop happening. People should be seeing that and being like, actually, he's one of us that's doing that. And that's kind of wrong. Let me pull him up on that. Let me pull up who I need to pull up. You know, because a lot of people have benefited from having, you know, the influences of black culture in doing whatever they're doing. And so what I think people are feeling right now, well, it's not even I think what I know is you're just like, yo, like, if your playlist is 70% made by people of colour, why are you not upset about this? I know that at any point when I leave my house, I may not return to my house safely because of the colour of my skin, even though I've not done anything wrong. In the same way that you know, as a woman, you may leave your house and violence may happen to you just because you're a woman. Because I want to know that if something goes down, that the people around me have got my back. And I think that's what people are feeling at the moment, is like that actually they're sharing this world with people who don't have their back. There's a lot of times what happens is people don't really want to talk about race publicly because they lose followers. And then I'm like, well, you know what? Your ego is more important than saving people's lives. So it's cool. Brilliant. Lots of times people of color never get their voice heard on platforms outside of their platforms. I might get asked to do Grime Daily, but not BBC One. I want to do BBC One. Prime time. And so that's one thing. In your day job, one of the simple things is this. When people make the comments, you pull them up and you don't laugh along. 
when the person of color comes to work in your office and it's their first day, you go out of your way to make that person feel welcome because you know they're shit scared because they got imposter syndrome and for, there's a whole load of shit going on. But you just make them know that, listen, I'm there for you. Mm. You show people that you appreciate them, and this is a, you know across the board. You know you feel like you're not appreciated for what you do. People always wonder, like, why would you spend a million pounds on a car or a mouth of gold? Because you want people to see you. You want people to be like, yeah, you know what? Wow, he's got the blah blah blah. Wow, he must be really good because you know that basically money is one of the only times that you get accepted. But more importantly, I'm going to make sure that I go out of my way to big you up when you do good. And when you're not doing good, to let you know how I can help you be better. Because the odds are so stacked against so many people at the moment. It's like when people say to me, I'm white, so. I can't really speak on the subject. Of course you can. You're a human being. I think people's fear um, is that sometimes when they do, they get attacked. Yeah, but then you have to understand why you're getting attacked. Yeah, and that's the process. Do you know what I mean? That's part of the process. You've got to understand why you're getting attacked. Mm. Because people are like, well, who are you to speak? Because you've got to understand is like, for everyone of someone who's like yourself, who's like generally just, you know, interested and, and being vulnerable, yeah, because we're having a vulnerable conversation now. There's all those people who like, uh, uh, you know, think they're six foot and bulletproof and think they can talk on your behalf. And, you know, and actually you're like, yo, you're actually part of the problem. You know, so if I'm a DJ and I'm white and 95% of the music I play is black, made by people of colour, and a black person dies... And I have nothing to say about that. I'm like, yo, dude, like the culture that you draw from, you know what I mean? That gives you status because you're the white guy who plays the black music in, you know, in the urban club and can drop the lingo and so on and so forth. Well, something's happened and we need, we need your voice. You're a voice at any other time. You're an authority at any other time. Why don't you want to be in the front? Oh, because you don't want to lose your Radio 1 job. Okay, all right, cool. Is it that they don't want to get it wrong and offend people? No, they don't want to lose the job because they know that if they get it wrong, then they get attacked, then they don't know how to defend themselves, and then they get exposed. People don't like to be exposed. How much do you think that's to do with cancel culture? Yeah, but listen, when you're black or you're a person of colour, you're cancelled on a daily basis. Whether you walk into the shop and people are like, do you have enough money to be in here? Because I have situations where I go to places and when they find out who I am, the treatment is very different from when I come in and they don't know who I am. I'm a yoga teacher. There's not very many black male yoga teachers in London. I've been to studios where people are like, and the delivery is around the corner. You're like, okay, cool. Now I've got two choices. I can either get really upset or I could be like, well, you know what? You probably have never met any black male yoga teachers. So now you've met one and I'm here and let's keep it moving. A lot of people feel voiceless and powerless because they feel, well, I'm not famous. I haven't done anything. So I don't have a story. Everybody has a story. That's why humans in New York work so well 
because it's not like people are being like, oh, yeah, and then I went to the moon. They're just like, and then this happened and I survived. So it doesn't matter what they've done. The one thing I will say to people who may be listening to this who are thinking, okay, what can I take away? The takeaways are you've got to have an ideas book with you on your person at all times and a pencil and a, or a pen at all times. And you have to physically document your ideas in hand before you transfer to computer. That's one thing. Why? Because by the time you finish writing that idea out, your body will know that something's about to happen. You will physically have written it in your body. I can feel my wrist aching. Number two, you write the, qu- the letter to yourself, being very honest about what it is, why you're really doing the thing. Yeah? Why are you really doing this idea? How much is it going to cost for me to do this on a micro level? For example, if you, if you want to get into podcasting, make a podcast with your granny. Go and ask her some questions about the war or growing up in London or growing up and what she's learned. Start with the people immediately around you because they've got stories. And then you go and do it. Before you go and start asking people for help, prove to me that you can do it. Let's run around the park, New York Central Park six times. And then that was the birth of the New York Marathon. Glastonbury. Oh, you're in a band, you're in a band, you're in a band. Oh, I've got a farm. What's the thing that they have is drive. The thing is like, you know what? There's something missing from the world that I want to bring into it that I think will resonate with people or I'm trying to solve a problem. So I'm going to go and do it. If you look back to you in 2006 Mm -hmm. and then you in, you know, 2020, what do you think you got out of it that you didn't expect to achieve? Well, I would say that it's allowed me to connect with people who from a much varied and wider spectrum than I had through music. It's taken me to countries around the world where, you know, people who maybe have had my upbringing shouldn't have gone to. It's given me experiences, um, life lessons. It's allowed me to humble my ego because a marathon will humble your ego very, very quickly if you're not prepared. It's brought structure into my life. It's brought friendships. It's brought love. It's brought many different things. I mean, it's, you know, completely enhanced my life. I'm a very different person now than the person who started it. But I'm very proud of, you know, of, of what I've achieved with it. Anybody can have the life that I've led easily because it's not hard. You know what I mean? It's, but it's whether you're brave enough to take the risks, whether you are in tune enough to act on your intuition, I stepped into my light. A lot of people, they look at what you're doing and they want to do what you're doing, but they're unprepared to step into their light in order to make those steps happen. So they're always going to be looking at you and be like, oh, it's easy for you or blah, 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 because they won't step into their light. And I just ask the people around me and people who run them, it's like, look, I don't care how fast you can run. I don't care what distance you can do. Are you going to step into your light today? On the last note, as I always say to people, is when I meet people who I think, you know what, you've got something special about you, some interesting thing, my job is to encourage and to inspire and to provoke because I, cause we need you. We need each and every single person right now to step into their light and be the best that they can be. So that when, you're, when you do speak about injustices 
or when you do celebrate people, more people get to hear and it resonates more widely. And that's the reason why I said, you know what, let's do this podcast. This is one we're going to do. Thank you. It was an interesting conversation. Thanks so much for listening to the Out of Hours podcast. To hear more about Out of Hours, sign up to our newsletter at outofhours.org. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a review. It really helps. 